Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Today we're in the last message in a series of sermons entitled, I Am Jesus. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we're going to talk about this this morning. So I'm super glad to have everybody with us today. It's the third, ser- or third message in the series. We talked about I Am the Resurrection And uh, I'm the vine, and today we're going to talk about one of the most inspirational and life-changing I am statements in the Bible. And it's where Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, he said, I am the light. I am the light. And he that walks with me, uh, and he who follows me, will never, never walk in darkness. And so, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the light of the world. Now, today you're going to have to be honest, so everybody raise your right hand, repeat after me. I promise, a little more enthusiastically, I promise that no matter how embarrassing, I will be absolutely honest, and if I am not honest, I will buy Pastor Mike a brand new car. All right, so you got it on the line right now this morning, okay? How many of you as kids, you were afraid of the dark? Let's see your hands. Now, I want you to look around the room at all the Frady cats, all right? I I really do. How many of you as adults, you were afraid of the dark? You know, I was like, dude, I'm still afraid of the dark. That's, That's incredible. When I was a kid, all I needed was a nightlight, but I didn't used to need a light, a nightlight. Uh, When I would go to sleep, I would leave my door wide open because my mom and dad were night owls and they would stay up late and and, and they were always up. And so I left the door wide open because I could hear their voices and stuff. Well, my mom and dad got into this habit of of closing my door halfway. So I would get up in the middle of the night because I had to use the restroom and I would, you know how you are and you're just fuzzy and you're walking in the twilight and man, I would just bam right in the middle of that door. It would wake up my mom and dad and everything. And so they started leaving the hall light on. And to this day, like 40-something years later, that hall light stays on almost 24-7 in my mom and dad's dad's home. So I'm okay with a nightlight. I'm just telling you, I'm all right with a nightlight. You remember the movie Monster, Inc.? Right? You know, they're supposed to scare the kids, you know, stuff coming out from under the bed and and out of the closet because they were going to kind of suck you into the sector of terror and all of that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, I just thank the Lord for a nightlight. Amen? And so, this this afternoon, this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the light of the world. If you have grown up in church at all, You've heard the statement before that Jesus is the light of the world. But most of us don't know the context that that I am statement came from. That statement actually came after one of the greatest grace-filled stories you're ever going to find in the pages of the Bible. It was when a woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And it's right after that story that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so what I want to do today is I want to take and break down the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and, and, and lead up to that life-changing, transformational statement, all right? So I want to break it down into three different kind of words or ideas or thoughts. They start with L, law, love, and light. 
Law, love, and light. Almost sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Law, love, and light. But it's going to just kind of serve to kind of guide us through this, through this, uh, through this narrative. So I want to get going. If you have a, a notepad and piece of paper, I want you to kind of write it down. Because here's the first thing I want to call your attention to is that the law reveals guilt. The law reveals guilt. And what the law reveals, if you're taking note, is our guilt. Look at John chapter 8, verses 2, 3, and 4. At dawn, he, the he is Jesus, appeared to him in the temple courts, where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, the custom of our days, the preacher stands up to preach, but in Jesus' day, the custom was when you're teaching, you sit down to teach. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And by the way, the language in the original talks about caught in the very act of adultery. This wasn't reputation, this wasn't rumor. I mean, she was nabbed red-handed. And they made her stand before the group. You know, it's one thing to get, you know, kind of busted when you're doing something wrong. It's another thing to bring everybody right in front of the group and say, hey, look what she's done. And the woman said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now let's pause for a moment and acknowledge what's going on here. Somehow a Pharisee or two, and a Pharisee was, a, was somebody who claimed to love Christ but really didn't. They loved the law and, and they loved themselves more than they loved Jesus Christ. They were very self-righteous, legalistic men caught up in, the, uh, in this whole act of trying to trap Jesus. And so what they did is they caught this couple in the act. It was a married man and this adulterous woman. And they evidently, they just burst in and they dragged this woman out. Notice the guy isn't held accountable. We don't even see him anymore. It's a double standard. I get that. I don't agree with that. I'm just telling you the story as it's there in John 8. And they take this woman who was guilty. Yes, she was guilty. They take this woman who had done wrong. Yes, she had done wrong. She had taken this woman who was caught in this sinful act. And yes, it was a sinful act. And they drag her out, and likely the idea is it was by, they forcibly drug her out. The idea is they probably didn't even give her a chance to put her clothes on. She probably just grabbed a, a sheet and threw it around her as they drug her, led her down the city street, humiliated, shame-filled, brought her in front of the group. I don't know who was in that group. We know Pharisees were in the group. These self-righteous, pompous, kind of spiritually arrogant people. We know that there was probably just bystanders because we presume this is in a marketplace. There are probably children in, the, in, the, in that group, but we know that Jesus was in that group as well. It's interesting. They just drug her, not caring about her, but they, were caring, they cared more about the law. Look at what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, that they said, the Pharisees, that in the law of Moses commanded us to stone this woman. Now what do you say? They were saying, listen, the law reveals guilt. The law reveals sin. The law makes us aware of what's wrong because it says in the law of the Old Testament, law of Moses, that this is wrong, adultery is wrong. And look, buddy, we caught her red-handed. What are you going to to do about it. 
Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, and they were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, what was the trap? If he would have looked because the law said to do what? Stoner. And by the way, I'm not talking about recreational use here. I'm talking about real rocks and just throwing it at you, you know? Stoning somebody to death. In the Old Testament, it was a horrendous way to die. They would take these big rocks and you would hold your arms up to protect your face. And the big rocks would just break your arms and your arms would hang down limp at your side. And then the big boulders or stones or rocks would just literally crush your, your skull and just bash your brains out. It was a hideous and a horrible way to die. And so the challenge to Jesus, the question to Jesus was, are you going to stone her? The law says she's guilty. What are you going to do? Now, here's where the entrapment came in. If Jesus had said, no, 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 don't stone her, then they would have said, see, he breaks the law of Moses. If he would have said, if he would have said, go ahead and stone her, then they would have said, see, he's not the son of compassion and love and grace that he tells everybody he is. So Jesus is kind of right there in a catch-22 between a rock and a hard place, so, so to speak. Here's this woman, shame-filled, humiliated, guilty, in front of him. Here's these people with ulterior motives kind of saying one thing but really meaning something else. The Pharisees in the background and, and everybody else is watching to see what Jesus, the son of compassion, would do. And here's what he did. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I don't know why he did that. I don't know what he wrote. I don't know what he drew. I don't know if he doodled. I don't know, I don't know what he did all of that for. But before we move on, I just simply want to tell you that the main point is that the law reveals our guilt. Now, interestingly enough, we live in a world today where people don't like to admit guilt. In fact... One of the things I often say that gets kind of the most pushback from a lot of folks, the most kind of complaining from good people or from folks is when I say, hey, listen, we are not good people. The Bible says we were born with a sin nature. And people go, well, well, wait a minute, Mike, I'm a good person and, and she's a good person and my mom's a good person and my grandmama's a good person. Well, we all need to understand that in, in the eyes of God, while we may classify them as good people, God says, no, listen, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all kind of have this sin issue going on in our lives. Now, just to illustrate this and to make sure that you and I are aware of just how sinful we are, we're going to go over a few of the Ten Commandments. Remember when you raised your hand and said you'd be honest, and if you weren't honest, you'd buy me a car. So this is where you got to be gut-level honest right here. We're going to publicly admit it, all right? Because we've all have that. For example, I'm sinful, so are you. For example, how many of you have ever told a lie? Would you raise your hand? Now, if somebody doesn't have their hand up, I want you to look at them and go, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because they're lying right now. 
I mean, somehow it's just that line almost, you know. I heard, uh, I read a little boy one time, asked, a Sunday school teacher asked what a definition of a lie was, and he misquoted an Old Testament verse, but he said a lie is a very present help in time of trouble. Could be. Fact of the matter is, every person in this room has sinned because we've told a lie. You big bunch of liars, you. Well, let me give you another one. How many of you in this room have ever stolen anything? Raise your hand. All you thieves out there, raise your hand. Raise them right now. Hold them up. Now, some of you are kind of getting a little quick with that. No, no, no. It's like, now, now, hold them up. Hold them up. We, yeah, okay, now, if somebody by you has their hand up, ladies, take your purse and put it on the other side right now. Then you can put your hands down. Of course, we've all taken something that, that wasn't ours, whether by accident or, or, or you know, intentional. And it, it's just, it doesn't make it right. I, I'm just saying we're all guilty, right? Let me, give you a, let me give you another one. How many of you have ever taken God's name in vain? Raise your hand. Come on, all you golfers, get your hands up there. Parents, get your hands up there too. Your kid misbehaves and you don't blame the kid. You blame God and throw it out there. The fact of the matter is we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We have all broken the law. The same three things that I just ripped off to you are found in the Ten Commandments just as much as thou shalt not commit adultery was for the woman brought to Jesus in front of the crowd. By the way, it's an interesting thing, the, the Greek wording in this context about how we all sin. The idea is not only did, did we sin or when it talks about us not having sin, it's what we never did anything wrong, but the Greek language also talks about not only, do, you know, are we not supposed to have sin? Well, I'll get to it in just a second. The idea here is that we are all sinners. Can I just go ahead and amen that? Now, if you're here today for the first time and you expected to come into a perfect church with a bunch of perfect people, man, we just really shot that out of the water, didn't we, you know? Matter of fact, everybody's raised their hands. You probably feel pretty lousy about yourself right now, you know? You're a lying, cursing, stealing bunch of people, you know? Have a good day, everybody, you know? The fact is, we're all sinners. I say it all the time. We're not a perfect church, but we are a perfect church for imperfect people because we are loaded with imperfect people who struggle with the issue of sin. Now, let's just break down and call it what it is. If you tell a lie, you're a... If you steal, you're a... You take God's name in vain, you're a... The woman caught in the act of adultery was a... Adultery, yeah. You got it. So the law reveals her guilt. The law said that this woman was guilty, and she was. And the law says you and I are guilty, and we are. But the good news is it, the good news is that it doesn't stop with the law. The second thing, if you're taking notes, and man, I hope you write this down, is that love reveals God's grace. The law reveals guilt, but love reveals God's grace. Yes, the law reveals our guilt. Love reveals God's grace. Look at verse 6. 
But Jesus, and he's kind of ignoring their question here, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is crazy. I mean, I'm telling you, it's just absolutely crazy. They're like, Jesus, do we stone her or, or do we not? And he ignores the question. He doesn't answer. He kneels down. He starts writing. Some people think he starts writing the sins that these folks have committed. That brought her to Jesus. We don't know. But what we do know is verse 7 says, And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you without what? Sin. Sin. Cast the first stone at her. Now, this word sin, and this is what I was talking about just a minute ago, this word sin in the Greek talks about the act of disobeying God's law. But it not only is the act of God obeying God's law, it also talks about you've never wanted to break God's law. It's not only the action, but it's the attitude. You know, we laugh about it all the time. You know, my wife and I, we've, we've never really talked about divorce, murder a lot of times, but never divorce. One's an action, one's an attitude. Jesus Christ said, listen, you can sin in your a- action, but just because you never say the word or take the thing or, or, or say what's in your heart doesn't mean that what's in your heart isn't wrong as well. So when you get to this word sin, oh my goodness. He's saying if you've never wanted to sin or if you've never sinned, then yes, you have the right to pick up a stone and to be the first one to throw it. Come on, folks, step up. That's what Jesus was saying. Now, this would have been cool if Jesus would have done it. I don't know if he did it. You know, a whole lot happens in the biblical narratives and in the stories, you know, more than what is given to us. But wouldn't it have been cool if Jesus would have went, you, sir? You, sir, would you like to take a stone? Have you been without sin? You, ma'am, would, would you like to take a stone? Have you been without sin? Oh, what about you, husband and wife right here? Would, would you, because you've never sinned, would you take a, a stone? Tom R., everybody knows you're a sinner. You know, you don't even, we're going to throw the rock at you, babe. You know what I'm saying? We're all messed up. Amen? The good news is that Jesus is the light of the world and whatever sin has messed up, Jesus Christ can straighten up. Amen? By the way, those of you who like to gossip and nitpick and stuff at other people, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. You that obsess over the behavior of other people, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Talks about if you've ever sinned, if you've ever wanted to sin. And Jesus is going after something really, really important here. This judgmental, these judgmental, arrogant guys have the same problem that all of us have at one point or another. And it's incredibly easy to overlook our own sins, faults, and failures and accentuate and highlight the faults and failures of others. Jesus said, man, if you're without sin, go ahead, pick it up and throw it. But if you're not, then extend a little grace. Look at verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9 says, 
If you were without sin, you could throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and this is the second time. And at this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older guys first. Why did the older guys go first? Why did they leave first? Because older people have a lifetime of sin more than younger people, right? We got more sin in that side of the column. And the older ones went away until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. They brought this woman to Jesus, and she felt so awkward. Jesus draws on the ground, says, One sin to ye who without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, the awkwardness still shifts. I mean, the woman still had to feel awkward, shame-filled, and humiliated. But now, all of a sudden, the crowd was awkward, shame-filled, and humiliated. Because it may not have been the same sin, but it still was sin, nevertheless, that they too were guilty of. They had offended the law just as well as this woman had. Just as like when you lied and stole and the stuff you raised your hand to. Until it was just her and Jesus left. Look at verse 10. Jesus straightened up. He stood up straight and he said, woman... And by the way, that's not a, that's not a term of derision. In, in that culture, in that day, that was a tender word. It was, a, it was like ma'am or sir. It was, a, it was a, you know, a word of courtesy. He says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, sir. No, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now. And leave your life of sin. Man, that is a great, great statement in the scripture. Here's this woman caught in the very act. People saw it. She was, she was nailed in the very act of adultery. She's right there in front of Jesus. She knows she's guilty. He knows she's guilty. Everybody in the crowd knew that she was guilty. And yet Jesus Christ extends grace to her. Man, she had messed up bad, you know? And her bad that she messed up in was exposed in front of everybody. And yet Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. There's somebody here who walked in today in a little bit of darkness and a little bit of shame, a little bit of agony over what you did or, or what others may think that you are. Listen, when you are in Christ, you need to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because grace not only covers our sins, but his grace changes everything. You know what you did. You know who you are. And Jesus knows what you did. And Jesus knows who you are, but he still extends grace to you. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to understand what I'm about to say. There is an accuser, and his name is Satan. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that. And you can put it down. He's going to hurl insults and accusations against you, and, and some of you know this all too well. It's, it's that voice that says, after all you did, God will never use you. After how bad you've messed up, you, God will never forgive you. After all you've done, you could never make a difference in the world. After all you've done, you'll never have a good marriage. After all you've done, you blew it big time. 
It's over for you, and life will never be good again. Your kids will never respect you. Your spouse will never love you. You have screwed up royally. I just want you to know that's the voice of the accuser. That's the, not the voice of the Savior. The Savior says, in grace, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That is such a cool phrase, that go now and leave your life of sin. Because I want you to know that whenever the accuser accuses you of your past, you just remind him of his future, and you just say, listen, devil, you're going down one day, bud, and I'm going up, because darkness will never, ever defeat the light. And until we see ourselves as sinners, we're not going to see our need for a Savior. The law reveals the guilt of sin, and I'm glad that it does, but God's love reveals grace. So then what does he say next? He says, okay, now that you're forgiven, does he say, go and try your best not to sin again? Does he say that? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, now since I'm Jesus and I understand your past and I know your dad abandoned you and I know you come from a dysfunctional family and your dad never showed love to you and you got men issues and, and your whole life you've been looking for love in the wrong places and so I know you're probably going to deal with this and you're going to end up right here again. But just do your best not to try to sleep with anybody else. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. You're free. Sin no more, sin no longer has control or power or authority over you. Go now and leave your life of sin, leave the guilt, but walk in grace. See, we believe that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that your life is different. Because he makes the difference in our life and in our heart. In the same way, he doesn't do that with our own darkness. He doesn't say to a guy, hey, I know you're a red-blooded American and it's just the thing that red-blooded Americans do, lusting after pornography. And you're probably going to do it again because you're just that type of guy. And that's just what men do. So do your best not to look at that you know, very often. He doesn't say that. He says, now, go, leave your life of sin behind. Some of you are gossips. You don't raise your hand on that one. Fact of the matter is, you really don't have to raise your hand anymore. I mean, gossips are really easy to, to know. And so if you're one of those prone to gossip, if that's the darkness that you're still kind of lingering in, and, and, and Jesus doesn't say, listen, I know that you need to, you feel horrible about yourself, and when you push other people down, it's a way for you to feel better about yourself. And I know you got self-esteem issues, and so really, if you will just kind of moderate it a little bit and tone it down a little bit, it's still okay to gossip, just don't do it as radically as what you've been doing. He doesn't say that. He says, go now and leave your life of sin behind. And that's the good news for all of us, is that when you and I, who are dead in our trespasses and sin, come to a new life and a new life-giving relationship in Jesus Christ, he says to us, your sins are forgiven. Grace has covered your sins. Now go now and leave your life of sin behind because I will give you the power and the ability to live better. Isn't that great news? He says, I am the light of the world. 
The loving grace of God is here saying, go now, walk away, walk out of darkness, walk into the light. Now, now, I love that word now, go now, go now. It's funny, I coached my first soccer game yesterday. And you guys all know I love coaching that little under eight soccer team. And, and it's funny because I would, I, you know, I'm on the sidelines and I'm just trying to help the, the kids to know that soccer is a fast-paced game and you've got to run. And not only do you have to run, but you have to run now. You know? Sometimes the fastest my group runs is to snacks and cookies after the game is over, you know? But I love them, man. And, and it's just like, you got to run. Come on, you got to do it now. Not later, not at halftime, not when the game's over. But right now, when you're in the game, you got to run. Jesus is saying right now, hey, listen, you're in the game. You got to run. You got to leave it now. Go now. Get away from it now. Move past it now. Get beyond it now. Come on, you can do it now, now, now. I love it. He doesn't want you to linger in the darkness any longer. He doesn't want you to linger in the guilt any longer. He wants you to leave the darkness and come into the light because Jesus Christ is what? He's the light of the world. And when you follow him, you'll never walk in darkness. Let me give you the third thing. The third thing, if you're taking notes, is simply this, is that the light reveals our hope. Is that the light reveals our hope. The light reveals our hope. Now watch this in verse 11. Verse 11 says, and it's the verse previous to the I am statement. Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. I, I used to read that and think, well, now he's being a little preachy here. Don't you think, you know, don't do that anymore. Cut that out. I forgave you. But stop it. He wasn't talking like that at all. He was encouraging her. And he was saying, hey, you don't have to live in darkness anymore. It can be different. You can be different because my grace and my love for you is different. He says, go and sin no more. Why could she do that? And then you, then you land on verse 12 where we started. And verse 12 simply says, Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of some people of white middle class Americans no he said of all the world and whosoever follows me will never 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 walk in darkness but have the light of life I just want you to know there's not enough darkness in the world to put out even the smallest flame of the smallest candle because darkness never has and never will defeat light. And the good news is that when you believe it and it becomes personal, he, he's not an out there God, but he's a personal light in your own heart, in your own soul. And when you know that, when you receive forgiveness and freedom from all the condemning voices around you, and the voice of Satan tells you, you can't and you won't and you never will. It's silenced by the presence of God who simply says, I'm the light of the world. Go thy way. Sin no more. Walk in the light. The law reveals our guilt. Love reveals God's grace. And light reveals our hope. 
Maybe you came in today just feeling guilty and beat up. I got good news today. Jesus is the light of the world. Maybe you feel just like you've been walking in darkness for so long and you're tired of bumping into the things of the night like I'd bump into my door. I'm just simply telling you, Jesus is the light of the world. You can follow him. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Father, all over this building, there may be some people who are in darkness, filled with guilt, filled with shame over previous sins, maybe done this week or maybe done years ago, committed a long time in their past. And there's this struggle, there's this battle, there's this desperate need to get to the light. Sometimes we try to find light and meaningful and significant relationships in this earth or through family or children, through employment. But true light only comes when we know the true light, and that's Jesus Christ. So, Father, today, would you just speak to our hearts? There might be Christians who need to quit, who who need to come now and walk in the light. There might be somebody here who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about the church, this church, or any other church. It's about knowing you personally in our heart in a very meaningful way. And I pray for them. And if you're here this morning and you're one of those and you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, why not right now in your, in your chair where you're sitting, just in this moment where God's light is just like flooding your heart and saying, listen, it can be better. You can be better. Go now. Leave your life of sin behind. You can do it. You can do it. So if you need to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, why not right there where you sit, pray this simple prayer and invite him into your heart. Here's the prayer. Just say it quietly in your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. I don't want to walk in the darkness another step longer. I want to live in your light. You're an awesome God. Thank you for saving me. And my heart is to walk in your light from this day forward. And if you prayed that prayer right now, would you just right there where you sit, would you just raise your hand just to let me know I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I promise you, nobody's going to come and get you. Nobody's going to tackle you. Nobody's going to do anything to you. It would just let me know, and I promise you I'll pray for you. Thank you so much. And God bless you. Thank you so much. Anybody else, you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Mike, I I prayed that prayer. And that's awesome. Father, we thank you for what you've done. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray and everyone says, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet all across the auditorium? Listen, if today's your first time at Kirby Church, man, we are thrilled. We're really honored that you're here today.